Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that is related to the door of our hope. May the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this great privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And so stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Yeah. 
The book of Samuel, the first book of Samuel, chapter 9, verse 20. And Samuel answers Saul, But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? We must know that for kings and priests, all that was the best in Israel belongs to us and to the house of our Heavenly Father, or rather the Church of Jesus Christ, that is, the house of God in the face of his chosen remnants. This kind of belonging to the house of our Heavenly Father is tied to a kind of responsibility of a high rank expressed in the dignity of being a king. We know that a king is the legislator and the one who stands guard at the fulfillment of this legislation. We as kings and priests unto God are the de delegated Care about the donkeys is care about what to eat, what to drink, and what to dress in. This is the prerogative of God. And also, care for the donkeys is care for our bodies. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. Here it says, here we see God's role and our role, prerogative of God and prerogative of man. Our prerogative is expressed in honoring God and caring for the interests of God that are expressed in the offering of tithes and offerings, which are his hallow and what is accursed, as it is written. Nevertheless, no devoted offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that he has. When it talks about every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. No person under the band who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. And all of the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. By offering God that which is in our control but belongs to God, in doing so we honor God, we fulfill His commands, we acknowledge the authority of God over us, we worship God, and we express our love to Him. And in doing so, we search for the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Finding the donkey after ten, after three days, in the subject of our earthly needs, symbolizes their loss in the death of the Lord Jesus and them being found in his resurrection. Even in this event, if you have already seen, God has shown that our body must be redeemed in the dimension of time. Donkeys, again, represent our body. They represent an image of our body. Do not care for it, for them. They were found after three days. When God will produce, fulfill this death, He will enter His death, and each body will feel this death of Jesus Christ. And we will lose our body in the death of Jesus Christ. We don't just need to lose our soul, but here it talks about the donkey. They were found. Do not worry, they were found. This talks about the adoption of our body, or rather the redemption of our body in the dimension of time. And so, in order to place ourselves in God and allow God to dwell in us, 
or rather in our bodies, we as kings and priests unto God are called to gain riches in God and thus become rich in God. This is, do not gather for yourself treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroyed where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 21 and so our treasures gathered by us into the heavenly bank have properties not just to multiply in heaven but also to rule over our state on earth and to multiply it second if we want to end up in heaven then we must know that our heart will will get to heaven under the condition that our treasures are are placed there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew six twenty one. If most of our treasures remain in, in earthly banks, then our heart will pursue this. In other words, the treasures that are placed in the heavenly bank, which we know here on earth are earthly churches, this is a legal document giving us the right to already now um, dwell in heaven. That is why honor to God contained an offering to God of tithes and offerings is not just acknowledging his authority over us and express of our love to God, but also our worship to God, in which we honor and hallow God. Those Christians who withhold their tithes or who direct them wherever they wish into dead religious structures are viewed by Scripture as idolaters, because the withholding of tithes is disobedience towards the authority of God. And this means that they are dependent on money, which testifies of worship to the demonic Prince Mammon. And however we might clothe this and or justify this, the withholding of tithes and offerings, Scripture incriminates this, this kind of understanding and this kind of behavior into the category of idolatry. And idolaters await not the kingdom of heaven, but eternal turmoil in the lake of fire where they will pursue after mammon whom they worship and whom they clothe in their own good works, calling it Christian. And it's unfortunate to me when a category of saints who call themselves leaders of the people of God, when they call tithes heresy and delusion, but I, at the same time, I am zealous for the truth of God. All those who resist the teaching of tithes according to the, to the words of Joshua, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the god of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Let us not forget that the commandment of the honor of God and tithes and offerings is independent of the law because they existed and they were fulfilled by Abraham, Isaac, and Moses long before the law. And despite that it found its place in the law, its fulfillment in grace gives us riches because it creates us as partakers of immortality. Here, mortal men receive tithes. So in the Old Testament, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8. There's a difference here between the tithes that were brought in the Old Testament and the tithes in the New Testament. And here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Hebrews 7, 8. Pay attention to the privilege. We practically belong to this immortality when we in the new covenant honor God and tithes or offerings we prepare our bodies to being clothed into immortality into our new man and dimension of time here on earth this is unique and astonishing and this is a privilege Therefore, we shall rejoice and we should gladly honor God in tithes and offerings. And this already here on earth means to call the inexistent as existent, or rather to clothe our bodies into the new man. Let us stand and let us worship God in this unique service that is our privilege, and we will sing together when we honor God in tithes and offerings, we, each time, we cut the root of all evil, which is love for money. And if the root of all evil is love for money, then the root of all good is our dominion over money. And so, let us sing together. And I will gladly remind you that each time Israel had honored God in tithes and offerings, either in the Temple of Moses or the Tabernacle, Temple of Solomon, uh, they were called to, according to the words that Moses had received as a revelation, to raise their hands over their offerings and proclaim one proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the fruit of the same tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hand, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings, and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give impurely. I did not give in sorrow. And I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. Nothing is impossible.
And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to keep the depth of mystery that includes our relationship with God, His future rewards. This is Matthew 5, 45 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. We are called, like the Heavenly Father, that our Son rise on the evil and on the good and our rain may pour out upon the just and on the unjust this is the perfection of the Heavenly Father the Son for the righteous shines as a blessing and for the unrighteous it burns them for the righteous we pour out blessing and for the unrighteous we as Noah we flood them. It's talk, it talks about this kind of perfection of the Heavenly Father, His holiness and His justice, His reward and vengeance. What a person shall sow, he shall also reap. And so linked to the path that leads us to perfection, we have been studying the path that leads us to God as to our groom in the symbolic story of the path of Rebecca to Isaac and have been studying the signs presented in the Bride of the Lamb. Rebecca presented those signs in the virtue of the lily of the valleys upon which we are called to look with the eyes of our heart or with the eyes of faith so we may form ourselves into the image of perfection that is in the likeness of our heaven. Heavenly Father, this is the calling of Christ. Look at the lily of the valley, how it grows. Look at the process of life that flows through this lily. Look, this is the law of resurrection of my life. And for this purpose, Rebecca left her nation, her house, and her former life, so she may go to her groom Isaac by following Eleazar, the overseer of the house of Abraham. We know Eleazar is presented in Scripture as a symbol of the Holy Spirit that had come down upon the disciples of the Lord in the day of the celebration of the Pentecost to bring this small flock into perfection in Christ Jesus. His name means God is help. Jesus said, I shall help send you a helper, a comforter, the Holy Spirit. We note that in our situation celebrating the Feast of the Pentecost is not just a day, this is our state and our behavior towards the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit not as an honored guest, but the Lord of our life that will allow us to bind ourselves to the Holy Spirit upon the conditions that are written in Scripture so we can be led by Him. The Holy Spirit never leads anybody only those who they th themselves have binded themselves to him in accordance to God's conditions. We need to learn how to bind ourselves. The scriptures say, Romans 8:14. for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This is an amazing place of scripture. And you would think it would need to scare people 
If I'm not led by the Spirit of God, then I'm not a son of God. But the midst in which I grew up, the church where I grew up, my cradle that I speak of with thanks, thankfulness to God and sa- sorrow as well, because they taught me there that to be led by the Spirit of God are people who speak in tongues. But those who don't speak in tongues, they cannot be led by the Spirit of God. But if we speak in tongues, that means we are led by the Spirit and we are sons of God, is what they said. But this is absolutely not correct. People understood this, but it was not written in Scripture. I don't know where they got this interpretation. With all this, we note that specifically during the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive the unique and destiny-affecting ability either to receive the Holy Spirit in the form of the Lord of our life, to receive from Him and in Him strength to perform a complete and total separation from our nation, from our house, and from our corrupt desires and especially the covered ones that are covered up with some kind of religious so-called good work, to then in the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit bear to God the fruits of righteousness, that is, lead a godly life that carries the power of the resurrection of Christ, or receive the Holy Spirit in the form of a dear guest and continue to remain in the dependence of your nation, your house, and your corrupt desires. The thing is, a person that is not taught how to receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord of his life will never be able to bind himself to the Holy Spirit and understandably will not be able to be led by the Holy Spirit or follow after him to be perfected in Jesus Christ and will, in result, lose his sonhood, the salvation that he once received as a gift of grace in the format of a guarantee. We note that the Holy Spirit came to Mesopotamia, to the house of Laban and Bethuel. But he gave, and he gave them gifts. Yes, they received him, but they received him as a guest. Enter in, one who is blessed by God. Why are you sitting, standing at the door? We have food for your animals. We have a place for you to rest your head. He entered and he used their hospitality. But he said that I, he will not start eating or drinking or uh, accept their hospitality until he tells them why he came, the purpose. And then they said, tell us. And he said, uh, my goal, my purpose is Rebecca, who is in their house. This is the daughter of Bethuel and the sister of Laban. And they said, well, we don't know well, if she will agree to go with you. She's never seen the groom, and we have never seen the groom. Let us call her and ask her. Rebecca comes out, and they ask her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. They were holding him back and telling uh, Eleazar to stay, but he, the very next morning, took all his things, took Rebecca, and left. And those remained with their gifts from the Holy Spirit, and today sing still that you are Holy Spirit, a guest from heaven. So speaking in tongues is not spirituality. We've more than once talked about this. You can speak in tongues and have it, and not have an insufficiency in any gift, as Bethuel. Laban, but still remain a person of the flesh not having the Spirit and resist all that comes from the Spirit of God. 
And so speaking in tongues and practicing spiritual gifts is truly a spiritual experience. But it has not called us to make us spiritual or change our character into the character of Christ that we've inherited as, as a, from the sinful conduct of the life of our fathers. Therefore, to change our character into the character of Christ, we are given the truth of the cross of Christ, contained in the teaching of Jesus Christ that is called to separate us from our nation, our house, and our fleshly desires. In a particular format, we have already looked at the essence and the difference between our cross and the cross of Christ that performs a total separation from our nation, our house, and our corrupt desires, as well as based upon what principles is our cross called and able to collaborate with the cross of Christ. And stop to study the third question, by what signs are we able to determine that our cross truly collaborates with the cross of Christ and not its counterfeit? And such signs are to be within our heart. We see in Scripture are the fruits of resurrection that are in the fruits of the tree of life that bears fruit 12 times, giving its fruit each, each month, which is called to be the kingdom of heaven within us. And so also the key that opens up the path to the tree of life, the symbol of the twelve pearly gates, is our abiding with Christ in his trials. These twelve pearly gates are the key or the right to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven to the tree of life. Luke 22, 28 through 30. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Trials is uh, shame, suffering, uh, and all other things for the truth. And, and this is not suffering for the truth from the world, but from other children of, go of God. It wasn't the world that persecuted Christ. It wasn't the world who spat upon Jesus. The uh, elite religious group did this that led the nation of Israel uh, and told them to crucify Jesus. The kingdom of heaven, which we see as the inheritance of eternal life, is presented in the Eden of our heart in the image of the tree of life that bears fruit twelve times, giving its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. The leaves of the tree are the symbol of the light that is covered within us that we need to shine so that we can attract souls to Christ. That doesn't mean a physical healing, although it is included there. This means that people need to be healed from curses. When they see the light that you will be, they will themselves come to that light. You will not need to do a specific evangelical course or, or send them to other countries. They themselves will run to that light. In a particular format, we together have already looked at the fruits of our spirit presented in the symbol of the fruits of the tree of life that were yielded within the first new three months of the holy year and have been studying the fruits of the spirit symbolizing the fruit of the tree of life in the new fourth month of the holy year, which is called Tamas, where we are called to bear to God fruits to be able to be in accordance to the perfection that is in his likeness. 
We will remember that in Israel, in the 17th day of the fourth month of Tammuz, the people fast in memory of the two broken tablets of Moses. We know that the tablets of the covenant are the word of God and they symbolize Christ. To break the tablets of, of the covenant is to crucify Christ, cross, Christ upon the cross. And so the broken tablets are the death of Jesus Christ. This was the word of God. In Israel, the days of the fast were considered the days of the demonstration of sorrow, where a person hungered his body and in the time of prayer spread out under himself sackcloth and ashes to show God his sorrow and the humility of his soul. Here's what it says about this in 1 Kings 21, 27 through 29. So it was when Ahab heard those words, the king of Israel, when they, he heard the judgment of God that prophet Elijah had spoken, Ahab, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth sackcloth on his body, and fasted and lay in sackcloth, and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the day of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. By prophet Isaiah, however, God shows that the outer appearance of a fast does not always correspond to the inner state of the person. In Ahab, it was corresponding, but the Pharisees and scribes, at the time of fasting, that they were fasting, it was not what they had inside of themselves. And such a disbalance between what is inside and what is outside displeased God. Isaiah 58.5 It is a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul. It, is it to bow down his head like a bulrush or to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable one to the Lord? However, God, by the means of activating His grace, intended on changing in root the consistency and atmosphere of the fast from sorrow to gladness and cheer which is what he said in Zechariah Zechariah 8, 18, 19 then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me thus says the Lord of hosts the fast of the fourth month the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh and we will study these fasts later and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah therefore love, truth and peace Zechariah 8, 18, 19 this very same prophetic truth for those who fast was given by Jesus, which he made a law and instruction to his disciples and their followers. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in heaven in a secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly <clears throat> Jesus pretty much uh, explained here what Zechariah had said so to check whether the, bre the breaking of the two tablets of the covenant happened specifically in the 17th day of the fourth month, it is enough to count back 40 days from the 17th day of the fourth month that, as we see, will put us at the seventh, seventh day of the third month. So 40 days, we will find seventh day of the third month. This was the day of the new moon, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai.
The scriptures speak of this in the 19th chapter of Exodus, Exodus 19, 1 through 4. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day of the new moon, they came up to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidah, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped before there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from, from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself and so when people ask what where did you get that it was the seventh, seventh day of the third month uh, that that Moses went up because it says this in the Bible and when you uh, add 40 days uh, then this will be the fourth month. The new moon of the third month is a symbol of birth of the new person created in accordance to God in righteousness and holy truth. Forty days when, within which time God wrote the Ten Commandments of His covenant with the nation of Israel is a symbol of the state of a spiritual childhood. The breaking of the two tablets of the covenant was the mark of exiting this position of spiritual childhood into entering spiritual maturity, where we also see the days of purification finished. In accordance with the law, only after the days of purification were finished, on the 40th, 40th day was a male child able to pr be presented before the Lord to be dedicated to him. Luke, Luke 2, 23 Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And this is talking about Jesus. In Scripture, a symbol of purification is a symbol of justification that a person was able to receive freely by grace in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In the fourth month, those who lived on elevations approached the harvest of wheat, and the first grapes would begin to mature. It was the, th the start of the summer heat. And so, practically, any feast of Israel was accompanied with some sort of harvest, or more accurately, was the harvest of some kind of sowing. The symbolic 40th day in which the day of purification were completed that were marked by the breaking of the two tablets of the covenant symbolized the destruction of or elimination of the teaching of Christ, the handwriting of by the teaching of Christ, the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Colossians 2, 11-15. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. If a man will not bear fruit of the new fourth month that is revealed in the two broken tablets of the covenant, so that he can have evidence of the fact that he in Jesus Christ by the law of Moses died for the law of Moses, so he can live for God and live by God, then he will forever lose the salvation that he received in the format of a guarantee, Galatians 2, 19, 20. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ 
Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live uh, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In these two broken tablets of the covenant, we see the result that comes from the confrontation of two glorious, great, powerful, and tectonic laws. One law gives power to sin, the law of Moses, one law giving power to sin, and the other law taking power from this sin. Both laws by themselves are godly and together present the holy, eternal, and unchanging in its essence nature of God as well as its holy, good, and unchanging goals. Therefore, before we die by the law for the very same law that gives power to sin so we can live for God, it was necessary for a person to be born from the seed of the word of truth because if a person will not be born, who then will die for the law. You need to first be born, and in this birth, you don't die for the law. You you, be, you become born to make a decision by, by the law of Moses to die for the law of Moses. James 1.18, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. That doesn't mean that when we're born, we immediately become the first fruit of his creatures for us to be this is the fu the future this will happen when in the breaking of the tablets of the covenant we die by the law of Moses for the law of Moses only born from the seed of the word of truth can we then stand before the opportunity and requirement to die for the law by the law to live for God through crucif crucifixion with Christ we note that we need to differentiate the form of justification that we receive in the moment of our birth from the seed of the word of truth from the other form of justification that we are called to receive as a confirmation of the previously received justification. Therefore, there is a big difference existing between the seed of justification by the means of which we are born from God and between the fruit of the seed, where our justification bears fruits of righteousness and we receive the seal of righteousness. Linked to bearing the fruits of the fourth new month with the tree of life, which demonstrates the kingdom of heaven coming in power within our heart, identified in the two broken tablets of the covenant, confirming our justification in which we are called to bear fruits of righteousness, it's been necessary for us to look at four classical questions, and these are, what is the natural essence or root of righteousness? From what wellspring does righteousness come? And what is justification? Also, what characteristics do the scripture give the word righteousness, justification, and righteous? What purpose is justification supposed to fulfill? Or in what way is justification supposed to reveal or show itself? What conditions or requirements are we supposed to fulfill to receive justification and to be dressed into righteousness so that our justification uh, be in the quality of righteousness? By what results are we to judge that we possess within our spirit the tree of life that bears the fruit of the fourth month that is the fruits of righteousness. We note that the etymology of the words righteousness, justification, and righteous contain a sufficiently rich and multiple meaning semantics. As these words are a revelation of who God is for us, 
what God has done for us and what we need to do to inherit all that God has done for us. And so in Hebrew, righteousness is holiness, the law, covenant, justification, lawfulness, fairness, commandment, we're talking about the righteousness of God here, commandment, statute, regulation, judgment, justice, fairness, directness, faithfulness, truthfulness, constance, continuation, immutability, truthfulness, truth, wisdom, the light of life, honesty, sincerity, purity, the, re the resurrection of life, and the liberty of Christ. And so now, justification, which God has given to us and that we receive freely by grace, is the eternal redemption, purchased from bondage of sin and death, the elimination of guilt or not inputting of sin not imputing their sins to them, it says in Scripture. God in Christ has reconciled the world, not imputing their sins, and gave us the word of reconciliation, taken into the personal belonging and lot of God, adoption, resurrection from the dead. The word righteous, when a person is already righteous. This is now, when a person receives justification, he becomes righteous. Here's what is righteous, holy, acceptable. Holy is separated, what belongs to God. Acceptable, guiltless, upright, honest, fair, free from the oath. A person who is born, he is pure. Sin is in the outer person, but the spirit, the inner person, is without sin. He is guiltless. And it's talking about righteous when it's talking about the inner person. Free from the oath, not bounded by sin. Dead to sin, living for righteousness. Being in a covenant with God. Relying and trusting in God. Pleasant, finding the favor of God. <laughs> Honoring God with your tithes and your offerings, abiding in God and rejoicing in God, spreading the fragrance of Christ. Righteousness, which a righteous person will reveal, is hope and trust in God. If we have hope and trust in God, then in this way we reveal righteousness, faith that God is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Peace with God, based upon the covenant with God sanctification of your dedication, continual sanctification, the Garden of Eden that was dedicated to God, our heart where we meet with God, needs to continually be sanctified, continually stand guard that nothing evil enter in. This is sanctification of your dedication. This is not a three-day encounter, but a every minute and every second sanctification to stand guard that not to allow any foreign or other thought to enter into your heart. Observation of the justice of God, expressing holiness and performing justice, expressing upright joy, remaining in your church, offering to God a sacrifice of praise, honoring God with tithes and offerings, and revealing virtue in your faith. Looking at this truth to be told, 
multifaceted, multi-meaning and multifunctional statement in defining righteousness and justification, we've made a note that the scriptures consider all of these terms in regards to man legitimate and lawful exclusively within the format and boundaries of the service of justification that belongs to the new covenant. As the service of justification is based on and established upon the law of grace, that is contrary to the service of condemnation, which we see in the law of Moses. Grace is the law. This is not just something that is tolerant and uh, soft, as some people try to present it. Some uh, Christian so-called Democrats try to present those waiting for the appearance of Antichrist. And if in the service of condemnation the format of the Law of Moses that was carved upon the stone tablets and was written by God was given to the sinful and lawless man, which meant giving power to sin and being condemned to death, the fall, the fa then following the breaking of the two tablets where a person received justification, new tablets of the covenant were carved and written not by God, but by man. This symbolizes revealing of righteousness in the heart of a man, in which a person is able to perform the justice of God in accordance to God's written statutes. Considering this form of justification that a man receives in the two broken tablets of the covenant, the symbol of the new tablets that are carved and written by man upon the tablets of his heart were unable to condemn the righteousness of God in man, and actually gave the justified man power to be a minister of the new covenant to perform the righteousness of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 11 who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. According to the given place of Scripture, we see that the righteousness of God revealed within the boundaries of grace rose from the two tablets, broken tablets of the covenant in the new tablets of the heart of a man, is the law of the spirit of life and the law of liberty in Christ Jesus. The righteous man became, according to Scripture, a God-fearing man, one who honors the law of grace, one who lives by the law of grace, and one who does not sin against the law of grace, that is, he does not peddle or damage the truth that is within his heart. Considering that righteousness identifies and finds itself in holy truth, it was necessary for us to determine which of the two terms is the root and which of the two terms grows from the root. Because righteousness and holy truth are not the same thing. Based upon the definition in Scripture, righteousness comes from the united root of two terms, holiness and truth. We see that that holy truth is the root from which righteousness grows. And so the seed, uh, the holy truth uh, grows, the seed grows righteousness within our hearts. 
And so the unity of holiness and truth reveals itself in righteousness, just as the Father reveals himself in his Son, or as the seed reveals itself in the fruit. And so, holy truth, and so righteousness is the fruit that grows from the seed of holy truth. Therefore, holy truth is the determination of the state of the human heart. From what, where is this truth coming? The root of holiness at the same time, holy righteousness is the expression of the state that is contained in the holy truth. Therefore, the legitimacy of righteousness is always examined and confirmed by the spring of its genesis, that is the root of holy truth or the holy word of truth that is written in Scripture. The righteousness of God is, first of all, the judgment or justice of God, which defines good and evil and separates good from evil. We, in a particular format, in part have already looked at specific characteristics of the righteousness of God in the heart of Amen. And so the judgment of any righteousness of God we see in the two broken tablets is eternal and comes from the truth of the word of God, that by its eternal nature in is the holy wellspring, holy root, and holy foundation for the judgment of all righteousness. When talking about every word of God coming from the mouth of God and identifying the eternal essence of God, this is the first most truth of God. We need to remember this is always the first most truth and it, that it is a holy truth. Sometimes people read the holy truth as as and they they consider it as holiness and truth but this is one thing that the truth is holy <clears throat> because in this world you can also say you see are you truly seeing that the, this is a light <clears throat> you can say there's a light but you can say that this is the true uh, the truth that you see the light so this is a true uh, so when you're t specifying what it is, it's a holy truth. And so we ourselves uh, see that this identifies uh, the spring of, of what it is. So this is a holy truth. God, by his eternal unchanging and immeasurable natural essence is firstly everlastingly holy due to this the righteousness of god is firstly always a holy righteousness as well as eternal unchanging and unconditional the word holy first belongs to god and only after the, to those who are born from him in essence, God, who, by His eternal and unchanging nature, is holy, is eternally separated from evil, and is not part of any found evil. Further, the love of God is firstly a holy love, and therefore a selective love. If, if his love was not holy, then you can make it tolerant that you can love everyone without exception, as many preach today, today, people who call themselves preachers. But unfortunately, God's love is not like that. It is holy. It is a holy love, and holy is separated, or separate, that separates. <laughs> And so if it is a holy love, then it is a selective love. Therefore, God a priori is not able to love that which in its beginnings is not holy. His holy love is always proportionate to his holy hate towards evil and lawlessness. He loves with an unconditional love all that is holy in its genesis or its beginnings and hates with an unconditional hatred all that is lawless in its genesis or its beginnings. 
Psalm 45, 7, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. This is also written in the book of Apostle Paul in Hebrews. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Further, we note that righteousness and lawlessness are two battling with each other programs. That out of a programmable system that is either a person or an angel are unable to reveal themselves or function. It's just like you have a recording <clears throat> of some kind either on a CD or a tape or a DVD and you can't see anything on it until you put it into a player, into a CD player or a DVD player. The disc itself will not give you anything because there's a program on the disc. You have to put it into a player of some kind to play it. And so the devil has one disc, and this program is on the this this program is the devil's, and God has His own program, and one is passed down or given to us by by the genetic sinful life of our parents, and the other is when we leave this and accept the genetic code of of, of Christ. And so again, it cannot function out of a programmable system, which is either an angel or a person. God from the beginning loved his holy righteousness in man and angels and from the beginning hated the profane to him lawlessness in man and angels. Further, carriers of lawlessness as the angels that did not keep their position and men also who did not accept the love of truth and defile the temple of their spirit by living, leaving their church are vessels of his son scorching and powerful wrath. At the same time, carriers of his holy righteousness, keeping themselves from getting in contact with lawlessness and carriers of lawlessness, are vessels of his mercy. As it is written, Romans 9:22 through 24, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us who he had called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we have already looked at the personified essence of the righteousness of God that is the Heavenly Father, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit, as well as the holy people in the format of their justification, and stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. What goal does the righteousness of God within our heart call to pursue? The next purpose of righteousness in the heart of a man, received by him in the two broken tablets and confirmed in the new tablets of his heart, are directed or oriented on establishing the root of the righteous and to lead them out of trouble that is from the catch or net of evil prepared for the righteous won by the wicked one. Proverbs 12, 12 through 13. The wicked co covet the catch of evil men. And so the wicked are just waiting, are thirsty to catch into their nets the righteous. But the root of the righteous yields fruit. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come, come through trouble. To escape the nets or catch of evil into which the wicked one is trying to catch the righteous, it is necessary to give at least a short definition to the nets or catches of evil, as well as the strong root of the righteous because of which the wicked are the ones that fall into their own nets and the righteous come out of them.
And so practically, he casts this net upon the righteous, but the righteous somehow comes out of this net and the unclean falls into it. As sometimes they show in focus, they'll put a person in a... a cage and then they cover it and take it off and somebody else is already in there. <laughs> that doesn't mean we don't fall in. He truly throws his nets upon us, his his uh, catches, but he, uh, the Lord delivers you out of them. Let us look at what these catches or these nets are. Otherwise, we will not know what they are and what is the strong root of the righteous due to which you come out of these nets and the wicked one falls into it. First, the catcher net of evil into which the wicked want to catch the righteous is a symbol of cunningly devised words with which he is trying to discredit the moral character of the righteous as well as the holiness in the teaching of Christ that the righteous is confessing. Second Peter 1.16 For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Today many preachers speak of truth that are actually not their fables they say we understand this this way it's not written in scripture at all but somehow they have their own personal understanding of something and they pervert it and they teach it these are fables they're not written in scripture but they teach them anyway they also say make one uh, take one step towards God and God will make uh, take two steps towards you which is not written in scripture at all but they say these kinds of things it's written uh, there it is written that when the father saw his son from afar he ran to him can you count the amount of steps this father took to get to his son to a repenting sinner. So when we sing a song that your love is not able to be described, if I had even an ocean of ink and paper, I still would not have enough to describe all the love of God. It's interesting that they can sing this song and yet from the stage say, make one st- take one step towards God and God will take two, two steps towards you. They say that everyone who speaks in tongues, baptized in, in uh, speaking in tongues will be saved, but this is also not written in Scripture. In Scripture, it says anyone who believes in G- uh, that Jesus is Christ will be saved, but not one who is ba- not everyone who is baptized in speaking in tongues will be saved. Of course, he is born from God. That is why God, the Holy Spirit, is baptizes him. But who does he baptize? Only those who are born from him. Christians who obey his word come and learn. But these people make themselves saved and others not, and many things they also do. All, uh, they make commands, commandments, things that are not commandments. And the Lord blessed man and told him, be fruitful and multiply. They took this and said, this is a command of God. This is not a command, this was a blessing of God. 
the command was, then the day that you eat of it, you will uh, surely die. But uh, having children was not a command, it was just a blessing. He didn't say, God, God did not say, uh, God, God commanded man, be fruitful, multiply, otherwise you will die. But these people made this a command and they bear children against their will. They have no abilities, no strength to bear children anymore. The poor woman can't even do anything. I can't even get out of my stomach because, but he's always demanding uh, uh, sex because he says you have to satisfy me. And God did not give these kinds of requirements. God knows a person only when this person agrees to it. If a person does not uh, want to communicate with God, God will not force uh, this person to, you are required to satisfy me and you need to speak with me. Sometimes a person, uh, the Lord knocks into the heart until the heart, this person opens uh, the door. People completely perverted the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. Uh, these are these uh, nets of evil, so you know, uh, these catches of evil. When an unfaithful teaching is brought to you and they say this is the teaching of Christ. Second, the catcher net of evil into which the wicked want to catch the, the righteous is the nullification or remo removal of the fear of the Lord and replacing it with tolerance towards lawlessness and the lawless and represented and represent it as the love of God. Romans 3.13 through 18. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have uh, practiced deceit. The prison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Why? Because they preach tolerant love and and. Uh, elevate it to, into a rank of God's love. They, they title it as God's love. And when you hear God loves everybody, why are you do, uh, behaving this way? They say you break the commandments of Christ. They uh, say this is the commandment of Christ, but it's actually <coughs> their commandment and not the commandment of Christ. Third, the catch or net of evil into which the wicked want to catch the righteous is not just the re replacement of imperishable wealth with perishable, but also ev elevating perishable wealth to a rank of spiritual position. 1 Timothy 6, 5, 6 Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. New now godliness with contentment is great gain. Again, these are people who are of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. It says withdraw yourself from such. Avoid them. Do not speak with them. Don't be friends with them. Go away from such. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. To be content in the little that you have, to be happy and satisfied with what you have. Fourth, the catch or net of evil into which the wicked want to catch the righteous is attributing the commandment of tithes to the, serve, to the service of the Old Testament and replacing this commandment with independent offerings. 
Malachi 3, 6 through 10. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your father you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have you, we robbed you? in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Cursed with a curse you are, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. We had once a pastor in our church from the Baptists. Uh, he's from one uh, from Russia somewhere. And when I was preaching about this, he... He uh, became surprised. He came to me. He said... He said he came to me and said uh, to me, you know, I've read this many times, but when you read it, I actually uh, noticed what I actually... I, 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 I just realized what it really says here and that we are all under a curse in our church and I'm going to go and I'm going to tell them these things. We had a brother, we have a brother in our church who used to be a Baptist and he was married uh, uh, and the Baptist leader did, uh, and uh, this brother said uh, these words that when the communists lost their power, he said, I put, I bent my knees, I knelt down, and in front of the Baptists, and uh, he said the leader of that church knelt down in front of the church and asked forgiveness to the whole church uh, for not allowing them to know this truth about tithes and offerings, uh, that they were supposed to serve God with tithes and offerings so that they may be blessed, but they hid this truth from the people. But we had to sign a form from the KGB promising that we will not preach about these things. And so we didn't. And so the people looked at him surprisingly, uh, uh, and even his own son was very surprised uh, uh, at what he was saying. This is very important. Fifth, the catcher net of evil into which the wicked want to catch the righteous is changing the goal or purpose of sanctification as well as the conditions of sanctifica sanctification itself, while still keeping an outward appearance of deceiving godliness, in which there is an absence of the true power of salt godliness with holy truth. We see how today, literally, most services, there are true charismatic services, but there are many more false uh, charismatic. Charismatic is where people practice spiritual gifts, uh, the gift of, of wisdom, the gift of, of prophecy, and so forth. And here, we need to understand that if there is an absence of the truth and does not have salt, or holiness. First, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 9, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. For if 
For of this sort there are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambrius resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds. I personally know many people who uh, lead these encounters. They are they have a couple of lovers themselves they drink and the poor husbands who sit in the church they don't even suspect that the they don't even suspect that the pastor that's preaching to them is a lover one of the is their wives lover men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as there also was the catcher net of evil into which the wicked want to catch the righteous is replacing the order of the kingdom of heaven that is the structure of theocracy that identifies the atmosphere of the kingdom of God with either a structure of democracy which is always a covered a covering for the order of dictatorship protecting liberal values of tolerance or religious dictatorship where there is no atmosphere of the freedom of the liberty of Christ Jude 1 4 the brother of Christ in the flesh for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this their condemnation ungodly men who turn the grace of their God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ our Lord Jesus Christ and so when it's talking about uh, one person who, uh, we're talking about theocracy, there's one person ahead in the church, placed as head. And Israel, we had this, there was the Sanhedrin that uh, judged, but the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin was not the, uh, was not the, the they were not the, the top uh or, or took the top position it was the high priest and they helped the high priest and they if they made decisions he could always eliminate or tell them not to do what they were doing because there was only one high priest and all of these other priests were submitted to him or submissive and so no brothers other brothers are not supposed to be uh controlling him and telling him what he should or shouldn't be doing. And so when they elect these leaders, they elect them by uh, voting for them. Uh, they then tell them what to do or control them. Now we will look at the strength of the root of the righteous because of which he comes out of the nets of evil into and into which the wicked themselves fall. The thing is that the nature of the strong root of the, of the righteous is also a net, but only made up of the confessions of the faith of his heart, into which the righteous catches himself. And this net, or catch, into which the righteous catch himself is called king's palaces. And so when he's in this kind of net, these are these king's palaces. Proverbs 30:28. The spider skillfully grasped with its hands, and it is, and it is in king's palaces. And so a spider is next to the door, and when he feels, uh, 
a little bit of a uh, uh, airflow go, uh, going and he hangs upon his uh, his web and and when uh, the door opens he will then fly in with the door and so when you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven you need to confess the faith of your heart and feel where the movement of the Holy Spirit will be, this 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 airflow. And when the door opens, you will then end up in in God in the courts of the Lord. Opposite of the six nets or traps of the wicked into which he desires to catch the righteous but ends up himself, I will bring forth six definitions of the strong root of the righteous because of which he easily avoids the nets of the wicked. <coughs> Today we, we ran out of time. Uh, we, will not, uh, <coughs> we will not go through these uh, strength of the root of, of, of the righteous. Today, but we will bend our knees and prepare ourselves to eat of the great mystery communion that has life and fullness and all who desire to uh, confront their fears, their sins, their sicknesses, they can come out here to the altar to forgive those who sin against you who, or who have sinned against you to uh, be for, forgiven uh, <coughs> delivered from your sins you will receive the words of justification a righteous may fall seven times but stand up again and you will easily be able to take uh, eat of the body and drink of the blood of Christ you will be able to receive into yourself righteousness, healing, and life. Let us bend our knees, however, who is comfortable, or your heads, and we will pray. We wait for you at the altar. Right now, I'm going to be praying your prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He's not against you. He's ready right now to cast your hells into your, your sins into hell. And right now, he's ready to take your shame away and open up new opportunities for you to uh, deliver you from all dependence and to heal you from sicknesses. Close your eyes, lift your hands to God, a sign that you're ready to receive from God what He desires to give you. Pray together with me, Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my shame, with a broken heart, with my sins, with my sicknesses. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, protect me, remove my shame. I open up my heart. I accept your words, your words of life. I accept your Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of my life. May he be enter in. And your word, may it restore me, may it heal me. We thank you, Father. Right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am justified, and I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with a shining face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they will not touch you. May all these blessings come upon you and upon your children and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen.
and we will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.